Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, Terry Mosey is back. As you remember, Terry has her master's degree in exercise physiology, completed a chef training program, and earned a PhD in holistic nutrition. She's back to talk about her book, The Hidden Messages in Food. Use your relationship with food to unlock your true potential and to talk to us a little bit more about what holistic nutrition is as well. Terry, hello. Thank you for being here. So great to see you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me back. Last episode, you introduced us to the idea of holistic nutrition. Can you give us a brief overview again about what that is? Sure, absolutely. Now, holistic nutrition is about looking at food in its wholeness. And what that means is that everything about your relationship with food, so it extends past the nutrients on the plate, impact your well-being, and need to be invited into the conversation in order for us to heal and to thrive. And when we look at holistic, what it does is it places attention on the person who's eating, that specific individual. So along with food traits that go past calories and carbs and fats, there's plenty other things happening there, is that person. And their digestive health, their immune status, their stress levels, their emotional stability, their beliefs even about the meal in front of them actually impacts that interaction with food. So when we take a holistic perspective, we're inviting the physical and energetic aspects of food into the conversation. And it's allowing us to take the information in context to that specific person who's eating because food is that personal when we're interacting with it. It's going to be different for each and every one of us. And this allows us to dissect and find out how it works for us. It's such an excellent point to emphasize once again, that it's about the person. It's about the individual. It's a very different mindset than looking at food as purely caloric intake and passing judgment on it, good versus bad only. Correct. Because when you're taking in food and you have this food on your plate and you're saying, oh, well, this is healthy for me. This is this many calories. The food has to be digested and broken down and assimilated into your body. Just because you chewed on it and swallowed and ate it doesn't mean that it's going to have a a particular effect on your body. It's going to have an effect on your body depending on who you are and all the status is of your beliefs, emotions, immunity, stress, and so on. I'm going to read a quote in your book to lay good groundwork for a conversation. Genes are not self-activating, meaning they cannot turn themselves on and off. Instead, proteins that are triggered by environmental signals determine which genes will be expressed to determine health or disease. These environmental signals can be in the form of our thoughts, emotions, nutrition, lifestyle choices, and stress management. That's a lot to unpack. Can you start to break that down for us? Sure, absolutely. It's 
such a fun topic to talk about because epigenetics, which is the study of gene expression, only really came about a few decades ago because it was back in the late 80s, early 90s when the Human Genome Project came out. And what scientists were trying to do is they're saying, we're going to find every gene in the body. And once we're able to isolate them, understand what they do, then perhaps we can use this in ways to create um, different types of techniques to help people who have disease, right? So this was the intention. It's like, let's understand the physical body of the human being, get all of these genes down pat, and then see if we can help this to cure diseases. So it's very exciting. I don't know if you remember, but we would get the newspaper and it'd be like, they found this gene and they found this gene. And it's super exciting because we're like, oh, wow, this could be the cure for cancer and heart mm -hmm. disease. And as they were going through all this, they estimated that we were going to have about 120,000 genes. So they were going in there and, and, and checking. And then when they got to the end of the count and all of them, it just kind of like evaporated out of the news because we didn't get the answer that they thought. And we found out that we literally have the same amount of genes as a rodent. And then after we actually did all of the different types of um, calculations in years to come, we actually had the same amount of genes as a worm. So it was like, uh oh, then. <laughs> then our, you know, we're a little bit more evolved than a worm, right? You know, some days, some days not, you know, right? but, <laughs> but it's, we're like, oh, it can't just be your genes because it's not just the gene or the DNA sequence. It's how the gene is expressed. Mm -hmm. And then that was where epigenetics, the mm -hmm. science discipline was born, where we can now find out like, okay, if it's not just in our genes, it's something about our genes, but it's not just, it's not them themselves. Mm -hmm. So what we now know is that genes are, they're like blueprints, they're opportunities, they're possibilities. And then it's going to be how that gene is expressed that's going to determine whether you have health, whether you're struggling with an illness or not. And so that means there's a signal or a trigger that's coming from our environment, so outside that cell. So it's going to either be, it can be a thought pattern, it can be a dominant emotion that you carry, it can be different types of foods that you eat, it can be whether you exercise or not whether you sleep well, how you manage your stress. So think like your lifestyle, your different lifestyle actions, turn your genes on and off. So they express them. And that's what we're finding out is that it's the environment. It's not just what we quote inherited because we now know that at least 90% of illness is not caused by genes. So we like to say, well, it's my mom's fault. I got her hips. I got my dad's heart disease. I got grandma's this. And I get when people say that because your DNA sequence does give you a predisposition to certain things because so, you do inherit things. However, it's how you choose to live and your choices that will determine whether they're going to be expressed or not. And then when each person has an illness, we also know it's not the same exact gene expression in the same exact way. So mm -hmm. you and I can have heart disease and it's going to express in completely different genetic expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's that unique to you. It's that unique to your life experiences and how you go through life. What I like about your book, and you pretty much do state, this is not a program. This is not a fad. This is not a diet in quotes. Why is what you've been talking about, approaching food holistically, looking at the entire person, looking at your environment and your emotions, your stress, your, the choices you make every day, uh, and being mindful about sitting down and eating, why are those things not a temporary fix? 
Well, the thing is, is that when we go into a program, it's a set way that we're being kind of bossed around by someone, even though they may be an expert, but it creates limitations and it kind of takes away our autonomy a little bit. And if we want to actually create a sustainable lifestyle, because that's what gives you that positive gene expression is what you do day in and day out. We have to voluntarily want to show up to our lives. Hmm. So when, in a lot of programs, we're just kind of getting bossed around and it's not going to happen and we're not going to sustain it for long periods of time because we're not really that fully invested because it's not our choices. It's someone else making choices for us. So that's one reason why I'm not a huge fan of calling things a program because it does create limitations, even though those limitations may be self-imposed. Mm. And temporary fixes is that, yeah, you can definitely make yourself feel a little bit better now by running over to the pharmacy and taking an aspirin to remove your headache or get something for your acid reflux or and, and look for that temporary quick fix of trying to drop that weight as quickly as possible. I get the appeal, please. I get the appeal because who wants to be in discomfort, right? So we want to just go about our lives and we want anything that's in our way just to, to remove. But when we look at food, for really what it is. The line is how you do food is how you do life. So if I look at your relationship with food and I look at how you eat and what your aversions are and your cravings and the way that you show up to meals and your level of self-care, it's a reflection of who you are and how you're living. It's super personal. So that like when we talk about food, people get a little defensive. They get mm -hmm. a little like what? Like if you say something that disagrees with their line of thinking, because it's not about challenging that they're eating a particular way. You're challenging who they are as a person because it mm. literally is a reflection of who they are. So transforming the way you eat is really about transforming the way you live. So there is no quick fix here. You have to actually shift the way you show up so that your bodies can have a different gene expression and then you can have one for health and that it could be sustainable. So these quick little glimpses, what they do is they give you a little bit of like, oh, it's working. I feel a little bit better, but you can't sustain it. So then you go back to what you, your old ways. And then when that happens, what do you do? You, you usually have more symptoms. You have more gain of weight. So it's not even just that you regain weight, you regain weight plus some. And this is scientifically proven that, you know, we're, we're just kind of like immersed in mm -hmm. this the diet point. culture, mm -hmm. right? Right. Mm -hmm. So we need to kind of like step away from this diet culture that we're so designed. We just see food and everyone just thinks diet. Everyone thinks weight. Everyone thinks body image. And it is unfortunate that like we get into that space because we're now tying our worth our um, confidence, our acceptance of ourselves is standing in this culture of like, well, I have to look a certain way. I have to be a certain way in order for me to be worthy. So we think if we're going to lose the weight, if we're going to do all these quick fixes, that will make us happy. And then we can go about our lives. I'm here to tell you, you got to make yourself happy first. And then you'll let go of the weight. The weight is being held on because it has other different types of protective mechanisms on a deeper level. So in my book, that's what I share is let's go deeper. Let's go deeper into what food has to offer us. Mm -hmm. There's also the idea of set point where if you are eating a certain way for a while and then all of a sudden you hijack your way of eating and decide to go on some fat diet and you diminish your calories by so much, 
your metabolism, your body adjusts to that. And so if it's temporary afterwards, when you go back to the way you were eating, then your metabolism is going, hey, you know, we adjusted to this, whatever, ridiculous 1200 calories. And now you want to go back to what we were doing before. And uh, sorry, but the metabolism, we're slower now. So of course, you're going to gain that weight back plus some. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, that mechanism ends in us because it's part of our survival mechanism of Mm -hmm. our ancestors. Sometimes they went two days without food. Mm -hmm. So that's just part of allowing us to be able to store calories and be able to to survive and and to manage our efficiency of our metabolism. That's a survival mechanism. Because remember, we're we're the most evolved human being. Right. But we're still animals in a way. So we still have these survival protective mechanisms that are just built into us. So when we do these extreme things and restrict restrict our weight and like our calories that we're taking in, there's there's repercussions to that. There's hormonal and metabolic consequences Mm -hmm. to these quick fixes. And Mm -hmm. I'd rather be able to teach and share how to create a sustainable lifestyle that brings all of you into the conversation. It also represents culture. I had an interaction, I remember, a long time ago where it was a culture clash because I'm first-generation Haitian. And this is not an uncommon story. Any first-generation kid, if I don't, you insert any culture, they'll tell you. When you're hanging out with your American friends, they're going, ew, what is, what are you eating? And you feel rejected and it, it feels shameful food is also tied so much more deeply into how we express ourselves and where we're from. And, and that gives it more meaning too. And so when we attach uh, so much judgment to it and you should, and you should not be eating to it, sometimes it's actually a rejection. It may feel like to that person, a rejection of who they are. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. There's, it's just, when we start having these conversations, you realize food is not just what's on the plate. There's, it's, it's an interaction with you and the food, but it's also one of the main ways that we create community. Mm-hmm. And we're designed to be beings in communities. So, and food is a large portion of that. So, yeah, this comes into play. And it's about being able to embrace those uh, factors of our traditions and our culture, as well as also being willing to have the empowerment to make health choices that support us moving forward. Because our life is always designed to evolve. So, we hold on to the traditions that really hold mm-hmm. us dear. And if you eat certain foods, even if, quote, they're considered not health supportive, but you eat them in love mm-hmm. and you eat them with people in enjoyment, enthusiasm, you will still extract nutrients from it. Again, it comes back to the entire eating experience. Mm-hmm. What are the three stages that you outlined to developing a relationship with food? Yeah. So when I started to figure out food for myself, it was also just starting to say, okay, it's got these layers. And instead of trying to jump all in it at once, it can be really overwhelming. So what I found is as I started to learn about it, implement it for myself when I was sick, as well as continue to help my coaching clients is that it takes baby steps because it just change and just going deeper each time. So the first stage is the physical stage. And that is looking at all of food's traits and connecting with our physical physical body. There's 
so many of us who are disconnected from our physical body because of other things that are happening in our lives. So it allows us to get back into our physical sense, feel who we are, understand our needs, get a little bit more intuitive and mindful about our physical hunger and fullness and satisfaction, as well as tying in all the different types of traits that food has. So the first aspect is physical. And then we go a little bit deeper into how food impacts us emotionally. And when we get into the emotions, it's more energetic, right? I can't give you a bowl of sadness or a bowl of joy, but they're real, right? So they're energetic because remember, we're physical and energetic beings. So the second level is how does food impact us emotionally? And we can actually learn that through the universe, through the seasons. And we can talk about that is that whatever's happening in the universe is actually happening within us. And a large portion of it is tied to our energetics. So the second one is how food impacts us emotionally. And then the deepest is how food impacts us mentally, our thought processes, all the way back to our consciousness, which is an awareness and our mind combined. And that's really at the root of every single experience that we have. So when we have something that we're experiencing on a physical level, it has already gone through your mind, through your emotions, and then has become a physical reality. And through that experience, there's a lot of subtle messages Mm. that your body is telling you like, Mm. hey, and it could be that little indigestion. It can be, "Mm, I think a little weight is creeping on. Mm. I keep getting up to urinate a few times at night. Why does this headache keep coming around? Anyway, so you keep getting these different symptoms until they get louder and louder. And then you end up at the physician's office and you hear, you have high blood pressure. And, you know, it's funny because people go, what? And I'm like, how are you surprised? Like you've gotten warning signs, right? So everything starts off energetically and then it will, it will eventually manifest into a physical issue to get your attention. Well, we spend a lot of time outside of our bodies. Correct. So the idea of going through these stages is to get you back in your physical body, but then also back in touch with your emotions, because those dominant emotions do things physically to you, as well as what are the thoughts that are riding? Who's driving the car is your consciousness. And you can look at food at each of these different levels and say, oh, that's what that craving means. That's why I can't stand this food. That's why I eat this way. That's why I don't like to do this. That's, you know, and it all around food becomes a reflection of you because how you do food is how you do life. What's a specific you, example that you can think of with someone you've coached? Um, um, it could be, you know, what happens when we are um, craving the sweets. Okay, so who doesn't crave the sweets, right? Mm-hmm. The sweet flavor actually is going to help us feel more grounded because not just is it going to be the flavor of certain foods. So like animal-based foods are sweet in flavor. So it's not a coincidence that like when you are feeling a little under the weather, you may go like, you know, I could really go for a cheeseburger. Or if you don't feel grounded, you don't feel centered, you may reach for meat because you want something that's going to slow your vibration and get you feeling grounded into the earth. Mm -hmm. So when we had that sweet flavoring, um, craving, it's really about, are you centered and grounded in your life when you have too much stress going on? Because it does release a little bit of a little Mm -hmm. calmness of your stress axis. Mm -hmm. And it also increases your uh, reward center in your brain Mm -hmm. that gives you an immediate temporary fix of comfort. Mm -hmm. So there is a reason why you like it. But there's also a way of going back to saying like, well, why don't we go all the way back to where that sweet craving originated? And maybe we can get you to find your centering and grounding 
instead of using this food as a way to mask that. Yeah. So what you're saying is finding the root cause versus treating the symptoms. Correct. Because then the symptoms are just going to keep coming back because you're going to keep putting a Band-Aid on it, a Band-Aid on it. But there's a bull wound underneath. So it's just, it's still there. The problem's still there. It's kind of, you know, like when we go on different types of pharmaceutical medications and I'm not against them, but when we choose to stay on them just as like a blanket excuse for not shifting the way that we are, we're still struggling with that illness, right? So if you're on blood pressure medication, you still have heart disease. Do you know how many clients say to me, I don't have heart disease anymore. I'm cured. I'm on blood pressure medication. I'm like, oh no, (laughs) that's just controlling a symptom but that's the illusion that we have been given unfortunately in western care is that if we can just get those readings to be okay if your blood work looks pretty you're good and that's not true i've heard this (laughs) myself two things the cholesterol lowering medications i'll keep taking those so that i can eat keep eating the way i want to i can keep eating as much steak as i like and i've also heard i am diabetic and I eat sweets liberally. I just jack up my insulin when I know I'm going to eat some su- more sweets. <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> I've, yeah, I've heard both of those. But that's because we are trained in a way since we were kids that like if you have a boo-boo, let's just like get rid of those symptoms. Like we were always we were trained that way. And it's not good nor bad. It's just approach an approach that has been used that is more about the symptoms. And we just know too much now. I mean, we've known it for 5,000 years, but even Western medicine knows it, is that preventive care is a necessity at this Mm. point. Mm. People living longer, we need to be able to live quality lives. Mm -hmm. Who wants to live to 85 if they can't do anything? They're non-functional. They don't even know who they are. They're in pain. Like, there's, There's no award for living to 85 if your quality of life is so terrible. So we need preventive care because you can be 85. Sitting on the beach in Aruba, sucking down a pina colada, having an amazing time, and have absolutely no health ailments. I know many people who are doing that. Mm. But it takes showing up to life a little bit different Mm. and saying, I'm going to get to the root of why I struggle with high blood pressure in the first place. I'm going to get to the root. Why is my cholesterol high in the first place? It's not because you eat a lot of high cholesterol foods. Cholesterol in your food is not the same thing as the cholesterol produced from your liver. It's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's a great marketing tool, but it's not even science. So we need to talk about what what is causing that stuff. And that means I want to talk about your emotions and how you relate to food. I want to talk about your thought patterns in relation to food. And then once we get there, then we can go deeper and just talk about who you are as a soul and what you're trying to create in your lifetime here. Hmm. So let's talk about stage one, seeing food beyond the calorie. Yeah, so this is kind of fun, and this is a great place to start because this is where the majority of approaches to nutrition and food kind of start and stop, is that they're all about calories and they're all about fats, carbs, and the macronutrients, right? But then mm-hmm. they just stop there. And and the problem is, is that those two aspects of food are like very minute in comparison to what food really offers. And first, it's just not calories in, calories out. We already know this. It's, it's not just an energy expenditure equation that you can put in your Excel spreadsheet and be like, well, if I eat this and then I exercise and run around the block 9,000 times and only eat a thousand calories, I'll be able to be this weight. 
it doesn't work that way. And we all know that because we wouldn't be struggling with um, the obesity epidemic that we have, as well as people not being able to sustain after they do these type of techniques. So what we know is everything about that person, as I mentioned, with the holistic nutrition. So your stress levels, your immunity, your digestive health impacts all of these nutrients that you have on your plate. So when we look at food, food has flavors, but not just to make food taste good. That's, that's not, it's not about that. Taste and flavor are not the same thing. Flavors are actually qualities of food that actually stimulate specific organs in your body that allow you to heal and to stay healthy. There's also thermal natures. So foods that you take in, regardless of how you cook it, either warm you up on the inside or cool you down. Hmm. You have foods that moisten you or make you really dry on the inside. Hmm. You have foods that increase the acidity in your blood and ones that settle that down. You have foods that create inflammation, which sometimes we do need inflammation because it's part of our immune system. And then we have ones that settle down when the inflammation gets too high. So food does all kinds of fun things. So when we start to look at all these different things, we can say, well, what is going to help me right now? Past, is this too many fats or this is too many carbs? Let's talk about, well, is that food warming or cooling? Is it moistening or drying? Is it the flavor that I need for the circumstances that are happening in my life right now? And that allows us to be a little bit more specific about how we can interact and choose the foods that we're going to eat. So what are some examples of foods in those different categories you mentioned? Yeah. So warming foods, um, oats, black beans, garlic, almonds, those are warming foods. So when it's cold outside or you feel a chill on the inside, these foods help to shift your body temperature as well as your energy flow, your life force. So, And we need that to flow in order for our biology to follow. So we can take in some warming foods. But then also on those hot days in the summer, mm -hmm. you know, think of all of the different types of pitted fruits that come that come mm -hmm. out in the summer, right? That's because anything that has a center pit is actually cooling in nature because, and it's cooling for our bodies. It, it, you know, nature had this already set up for us if we would just follow the seasons. Uh -huh. So avocados, mango, peaches, plums, even navy beans, bok choy, tomato. So think what's really plentiful in the summer during the hottest time of the year, Those foods have predominantly cooling nature food. And that's why it's not in our design to eat watermelon in the winter, especially if we're in Chicago. But the problem is there are no seasons in the grocery store. So how can we follow seasonal eating when it's so confusing? You walk into the store and you can get an avocado year round. You, everything's accessible. But you also know it's accessible, but you know a watermelon in the winter and a watermelon in the summer do not taste the same. <laughs> that is true. Right? That How about true. a blueberry? You get a blueberry in the summer. It's fat and plush and sweet. And mm -hmm. then you get them, and there's this sad little tiny carton mm -hmm. for like 10 bucks, and they look like these little wrinkled little prunes in the winter. So mm -hmm. you're getting them, but you, can, you know that they're not of quality. Mm -hmm. It also just gets you to start to become more aware of the seasons, and I do share that in my book and give ideas of the different types of foods and try to guide you through some of these different types of traits so that you can have a starting point. Um, so some of it is a learning part and some of it is also just like, oh, just an awareness, 
you know, so when we get into the winter, there's more squashes, right? But mm-hmm. we're not talking summer squash anymore. The yellow squash and the zucchini, bye. Mm-hmm. Once the winter comes around, now it's time for the Hubbard and the curry and the butternut squash. Mm-hmm. And you know those hearty root vegetables that we grow. Like so it's but yeah, so we can switch around the types of foods that we take in. Some are even moistening, right? So as we get into these colder months, you know, I'm talking where we're both living right now, but the colder months, it gets a little dry. And so having a little bit more barley, eating more peas, having more beets, they're actually moistening so that you don't get all dried out. But if you have lots of oily skin and you have what's called dampness that happens when you're struggling with your weight, then things like brown rice and ginger and sweet potatoes that are all drying could help you get where you need to go. How can I keep evolving my food to help me as my life evolves? Mm. So it's always shifting. Always shifting. So just when you think you got the perfect diet, I'm here to tell you it's not going to last Mm. because your circumstances change and maybe your goals change. Maybe you turn around and say, I think I want to run my first 5k. Or I want to run my first marathon. That's hmm. going to change the way that you eat. Okay. Maybe something happens and you do have a health ailment that is asking for your attention. Mm-hmm. So you're going to eat a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going through a life cycle and your body is asking you to eat a little bit differently. So there's always things that are asking us. and But that's part of who we are as a human is to keep evolving. Newness is the key to positive genetic expression throughout your entire lifetime. So we always want to be inviting new into our lives. Why do we still like to yo-yo diet? Like squirrel, shiny new penny. Why are we so invested in doing that then? Yeah, you know, we yeah, we keep doing the same thing over and over again, looking for a different response, which mm-hmm. is the meaning of insanity. And mm-hmm. we do this because, first of all, the marketing, it is brilliant, and it is an external cue that does influence us, even though we don't feel that it does. It, Even though we may say, no, no, I'm aware, we are still influenced by society. We still are influenced by the diet culture that we live in. And it also just our worthiness is tied into that, so we just keep trying. But at the same point, change is hard. Change is hard. Transforming the way you eat is about transforming the way you live. You know what that means? That means eating differently, going to different restaurants, socializing with people differently, maybe not having the same friendships that you used to have. Maybe Mm. changing, so that means changing relationships. It may even mean changing your job because the shift work that you're doing is not aligned with what you need right Mm -hmm. now. So when you change the way you eat, you literally change the way you live. That's a lot of upheaval for someone. Mm. So it's easier for just to be like, or let me just try this and get a jump start, right? Everybody wants to do this jump start program, do this for 30 days, do this for eight mm-hmm. weeks. And, and yeah, because anyone can sustain anything for 30 days, right? You can be, you can be miserable for 30 days. Right? <laughs> so, because the reality is nobody goes on a diet. I'm yet to meet someone in my 25 years of doing this that goes on a diet enthusiastically, like, Here I am with my little Ziploc of like baby carrots and like enough oatmeal that can feed a six year old and like, and this face of misery as they walk into work, like, yeah, I'm on a diet today. Like, like, how long is that going to last? Because we need to feel fulfilled and satisfied, not just like, like fed by calorie energy. We need to feel fulfilled and satisfied by our food. And here's another thing. What I learned about myself when I decided to stop doing that is that it was a way for me to control my life because there were parts of it that I was finding so 
untenable that I had to control something. Exercising, there was a point where I was exercising twice a day and restricting my caloric intake. And yeah, I lost a lot of weight, but you know what? I was miserable. And because I didn't want to face what was going on. Right. So that happens all the time. And that's very common because it's, you know, it becomes food becomes a distraction. Right. So that and what it does is it when we place all our attention on food and it is something that we personally can control. Right. So as as an adult, nobody's shoving food in your mouth. So you are in control of this. So even if every other aspect of your life is just like, ah, things are happening and you're not in control, you get to be in the driver's seat of this. Mm -hmm. And what it does is when we do that is you end up doing what's called bypassing your life. Like you're you're placing all of your attention on food or people do it with excessive exercise. They find whatever that um, addiction is going to be, because it is, it's part of a disordered form of eating, Mm -hmm. is that you're going to place all your attention on it so that you're rigid and in control of it. But it's bypassing all the unresolved stuff that really needs your attention. Mm -hmm. It's a distraction. Mm -hmm. So dieting, yo-yo dieting is a distraction, because when I start working with those individuals one-on-one and start really learning their story, and we start to really unravel their story and shift the way they approach food and the way they're approaching their life, that stuff starts to fade away. But you can't bypass your life lessons. You can't bypass the things that are arriving in your life. We can be distracted by it, by hiding in front of the TV, binge watching Netflix and, and eating excessive amounts of food one night and then like starving ourselves for days after mm-hmm. because we feel so shame and hateful mm-hmm. of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we realize like it doesn't work. And then each time that we go on one of these diets, it like it chips away at our worthiness. It chips away and we just were a failure. And then, and then the other stuff just gets louder and louder. So we do that because change is difficult and we do it because it also allows us a avenue to bypass what's really happening in Hmm. our lives. Hmm. It's just not easy. No, it's not. This is airing during the holiday season. What advice would you give to us ladies for the holiday season so that we could just maybe enjoy it and not feel shame about our plates? Yeah. And and that's a part of giving yourself permission to eat anything that you want. Because once you give yourself permission and you don't have restrictions, you actually will choose to eat less of it and you won't binge as much. But it's the permission part. Mm. Because when you're on a diet, you're restricting yourself. And there's always going to be a form of of rebellion going on, even if it's in the background. So you're going to rebel because you're resentful of having to be told, even though you're telling yourself, I can't have this or I shouldn't be having Mm -hmm. this. And once you do that, it causes a complete chemistry in your mindset as also in your body. I would invite you, first of all, is to use those experiences when you go to hang out with people over the holidays about being with the people. Yes, you want to have some food and there's some holiday food there, but it's not about the food. You're there to connect with people, not just to to gorge. Because if you're sitting there gorging, then that means you're using it as a distraction because you don't want to be social with people. It's also about elevating your vibration to the point that those annoying people in your family or at work events and stuff like that, you're not even on the same energy frequency. So when they're being like, whatever, you're just, it doesn't even touch you. It just like bounces off you and you're like, whatever. Cause it can only bother you if you're on their same wavelength. If you are That's at a different energy frequency, hmm. they, they can't get to you. 
Wow. Like and coming in with your energy and not just coming into a room that already has people. There's always those dominant like emotional dictators in the room, right? Oh, like they yes. determine if this is going to go well or not. Like, oh, like yes. is she happy or not? This is going to determine if we're going to have a good day today. But you can walk in and either take on that person's whatever, or you can come in as you and not take that on. And that takes another level of mindfulness. But you can be untouched by that. And she'll actually tone down because she ain't getting a reaction out of you. Hmm. The people who are emotional dictators that want to run the show there are looking to kind of control because they don't feel in control within themselves. Hmm. Right. So, so I would invite you to be mindful. First of all, don't go there starving. So go there having had a nice breakfast or whatever it is for the day and then go there mindfully so that you can interact and be there. I'm here to play with people. I'm here to connect with people. That's what the holidays are about. Yeah, there's some food there. But if I also give myself permission to have that cannoli that comes out on the holidays or that, you know, like whatever dessert that or something that you like to tr- treat yourself to. But I want to invite you to eat it with love. Like, yeah, this is delicious. And you're eating with your friends. But if you get into that storyline, Oh, I shouldn't be eating this. This is going to sit on my hips by tomorrow. I'm gaining five pounds. I'm going to ask you to stop in that moment. Take a few breaths and walk around. Take a a walk around and come back and revisit that. You're not going to just gain weight just because you're having this food on the holidays. But if you're also just eating mindlessly and gorging all this food on your plate, how present were you when you were eating it? Do you even remember past the first bite mm. or do you eat the first bite, then go into yeah, 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 complaining with your friends. And then all of a sudden you turn around and the plate's empty. Mm-hmm. So I would invite you to give yourself permission to eat. I'd invite you to eat in a playfulness space and do it mindfully so that you are aware of every bite that goes in. You will enjoy it. You'll have your treats and you won't feel shame for it. It's how you show up as a person. What a revolutionary idea. It's in so many ways comforting. It's in so many ways uncomfortable because it's not the way we think. It's not the way we grow up. It's revolutionary. It's common sense. And it's loving is what I'm hearing you say. Yes. You want that interaction with that food to be loving, like I love you, as you're like, you know, going to eat it, and and you're just you and you're loving, you're looking around, and you're hearing all the laughter, and you're the music's on, and you're like, this is awesome, like feel that energy, feel that, you know, you may feel some chills up your spine, like feel happy to be there, so that the food that you eat when you're in that state of mind is going to react differently to you than if you're eating it in shame. I don't know if there's anything else we can say. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's because it's about being intuitive and, and and inviting you to have that natural relationship with food and not a diet relationship. And this is part of um, how I work with people who are looking to lose weight is just first giving permission because once that permission's there, you're like, oh. And then a week later, like, well, I don't really need to have it because I could if I want it, right? I'm like, you could. And then like, but I don't have a craving for it. I'm like, no, because you don't need to rebel. You don't need to be resentful. It's still there for you as an option. So you're going to already respond to that interaction differently. Well, thank you. Thank you for these encouraging words. Yeah. 
Just keeping in mind, it's never just about the food. Keep saying, who am I in this moment as I'm sitting down? And get yourself as elevated as possible. And that's the first start to you healing your relationship there. That's a lot for us to process, I think. So That is a lot <laughs> yeah, to process. It is. Yeah, it is deep. It is deep. But know that there is a way out of this yo-yo diet culture. There is a way out that you can love your body, love all food, and, and be in a space that you feel your worth and your confidence as you go out into your days. Thank you very much for coming back and sharing more information and guidance with us and the messages in your book. And I really hope everyone takes advantage and, and looks at this and can start to ch- take baby steps to change the mindset towards having a real relationship with life. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And now it's time for practical tips. Food is the, the perfect practice ground to then heal your relationship with food and use your kitchen as a space to heal. And then that stuff that you learn there is then ripples into your life. It's kind of like you take what you learn on the yoga mat into your life. It's not just what you learn. What you learn on that yoga mat ripples into every way that you deal with life. It's the same thing how you deal with your food. You take it out of the kitchen and it teaches you how to do that. It's just another pathway. But I'm worth it to put this care into what I'm about to put into my body. That's a signal. I care enough about myself to nourish myself to approach the day. And it takes time. Yes. Be nice to yourself this holiday season. And if you want to eat bread, do it because you want to. Not because someone else gave you permission. And see you next time.